Thank you for joining us today for webinar number five, how to be a better broker owner and how to help your broker owner. I'm Laura Prouse from Crest Insurance Services. Today, we welcome attorney Mark Carlson from the Carlson Law Group. Mark has been defending real estate professionals since 1993 and has worked with Crest for over 20 years as a member, founding member of our legal panel. Along with Mark, we have Dave Miller, Regional Vice President with Fidelity National Home Warranty. Dave manages the Crest Advantage Home Warranty Plan, which ties into Crest's E&O insurance. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Morning, everyone. Morning, Mark. Morning, Laura. Uh, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, the first four webinars that we put out have been very successful, so we know that they are uh, being viewed, and we look forward to getting uh, more information out to you guys today as we focus a little bit more on the brokers and the real estate brokers that are out there, and what's, what are some things that they could do to ensure that they are, are running their business properly and managing their agents properly, and maybe some lawsuits that come up when they maybe aren't as active as they should be. So uh, let's get started. Uh, Mark, what's the overall premise and, and responsibility of a broker who has real estate agents working under their license? Well, it really comes out of the uh, Department of uh, uh, Real Estate's uh, um, uh, the uh, regulations, I'm sorry. So uh, the, the regulations, you know, sort of simply say that a, a real estate uh, broker has the obligation to set up systems and, and uh, 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 policies in which to oversee uh, not only the acts of the agent, but also of their agents, but also of their, uh, the information that uh, is supposed to get uh, to the, the principles within the transaction. And so I've been to many uh, presentations by DRE Top Brass where they uh, they talk about uh, there being the the broker is is being the Uber broker. There may be other broker associates. There may be other managers that that are are assisting, but there's one broker that is uh, responsible for everything that goes on in the office, from website uh, agents' websites to advertising. Uh, so so the the broker really needs to uh, the Uber broker, as they would say. Uh, really needs to uh, uh, keep on top of everything that uh, that a, uh, a realist or that one of their uh, either uh, salespersons or or broker associates uh, is is doing. Uh, the um, so you know that goes into uh, providing training uh, so that you know people are doing things the right way. Um, a lot of times there's local requirements uh, within a community or within a county. Uh, that uh, the broker needs to be needs to keep on top of, uh, and and then of course uh, making sure uh, that the uh, all the documents in a transaction are getting actually getting to the uh, to the principles. Got it. Perfect. So, what exactly, and why should a, a broker care what the agents are selling? Can you go into that a little bit? Sure. So there's a. <clears throat> I'll start with sort of the, the, the most, you know, I guess, commonsensical, right? So if you've got an agent uh, who has never done a probate sale and then gets, gets a referral and, and wants to be helpful and take that probate sale, uh, well, the, the, you know, the license allows uh, agents to do a probate type of transaction, but they may have no idea what they're doing. And so uh, in that particular case, you know, you, the broker would obviously want to either assist that agent or put somebody else uh, to, to help out mentor uh, to be, make sure that that things get done properly. And, and that would go with, you know, I'm doing my first uh, uh, commercial deal or I'm doing my first raw land deal. I mean, it's there's everybody has their first. And so it's important for 
uh, for uh, brokers and, and managers to know when their agents are doing something that's outside their wheelhouse, so to speak. Um, you know, another uh, thing that people uh, often don't think about is that when, when an office is uh, purchasing errors and emissions insurance, you know, that's either the owner or that's uh, an admin person. Uh, and so they know what, what the policy is, uh, covers and what it doesn't cover. Uh, but sometimes uh, that isn't communicated to the agents. And so if there's a, uh, an exclusion for property management, which is, which is getting more and more uh, uh, um, common, you know, where a broker, if they want property management coverage, is going to be X dollars. But if they do without it, then it'll be X less some dollars. So they'll, the, the broker to save some money, since the, the company doesn't do property management, will elect to, to take an exclusion uh, for property management activities. But then the agent has somebody that says, hey, I bought this investment property. I'd really like for you to run my, uh, to, to run my rental. Uh, and they do it not knowing that the brokerage doesn't have uh, property uh, management coverage. Uh, so it's important for, and that could apply to, you know, exclusions for mortgage brokering. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there um, uh, wouldn't necessarily apply to escrow, but, you know, just the point is you got to make sure that the agents know whatever, you know, what you're negotiating, what the broker is negotiating for in their, uh, in their exclusions. Um, and so the, um, uh, and, and that becomes a real problem when you get a, a lawsuit for you know, an incidental property management and there's no coverage. Now the agent thinks, well, I should have had coverage because they paid you know, maybe for uh, their share of the E&O and then there's no coverage. Oh, that makes sense, that makes sense. So we know that there are still, even in this crazy market where it seems like there's a lot of agents and not enough to sell, but we still have a few thousand real estate uh, licensees uh, coming into the marketplace each month, which is just crazy. Uh, why is new agent training so important for a real estate broker? Well, so the, there's there's two things I would say most uh, most um, uh, brokers would say is every every company wants to create their own culture, uh, and and that is what they they assume is what attracted the agent to that company in the first place versus going somewhere else. So it's important to you know be able to develop the the culture of how things are done uh, within the within a company. And you know, then another is just sort of the the nuts and bolts of the practice of real estate, you, you know, getting the um, uh, being alert that when new forms are released, a lot of times new agents uh, won't um, think to go look, all of a sudden there'll be a, you know, on their wind forms, it'll pop up or they won't even look to see what's been added. Uh, and now they're using, an, uh, well, now it's hard to use an outdated form, but because they they, they upgrade, but uh, you know they're not using forms that they should be using, especially with this COVID. And obviously, we've we've gone over that on on a prior uh, session, uh, where where CAR was releasing new PEDs uh, or PEDs forms, uh, you know, seemingly every quarter. And so it's it's when you don't use a right for or the proper form or don't use a a mandated form uh, like the new. Um, uh, home hardness uh, disclosure uh, that's that's now a mandatory form then you know you're you're not complying with the standard of care just because an agent isn't familiar with what forms to use uh, and then you know a lot of times brokers will you know go to meetings at the at a, uh, a local association or go to the car meetings and and become aware of new issues and you know agents especially when they're new they're you know they're not thinking about 
uh, that that type of real estate activity. They're just pounding the pavement trying to get listings or trying to get buyers. So it's helpful to pass on, uh, you know, new industry information to to agents also so that they can, uh, you know, be compliant and then also just sort of be more professional. Perfect. Well, I tell you, let's switch gears a little bit over to E&O insurance, obviously errors and emissions insurance. And, and we hear and we know it's illegal for a carrier to uh, to insure fraud or to to have coverage for fraud. There's still a lot of confusion in the marketplace on what exactly fraud is, if it's unintentional misrepresentation or is it purposeful fraud? Can you kind of get into that a little bit with us and give us kind of a dumbed down 101 on exactly what it is? Well, first, uh, Dave, I would start by saying that I'm not so sure that uh, that that's uh, your statement that people know they can't insure for fraud because it's illegal. I, I think that that's something that uh, a lot of uh, licensees don't appreciate. And so let me let me touch a bit on that to make it clear. So the insurance uh, code actually has a provision that says an insurance company cannot insure somebody for their own intentional acts. So if I'm and that goes across all policies of insurance. So if I'm if I'm driving in my car and I see my arch nemesis uh, uh, walking in the, on the sidewalk and I purposefully take my car and run into them to get them off the planet, uh, that would be an intentional act that wouldn't be covered under my auto policy. Uh, if I, you know, on the real estate side, uh, the, it's, it's harder, uh, I think, to conceptualize what fraud means. And so uh, the, to get sort of in, into the, uh, the thick of it all uh, from a legal perspective, a, a, an intentional fraud claim is a positive assertion of fact, meaning you have to say something affirmative about a property uh, that uh, is not true, uh, that, the, that the person uh, uh, giving the information knows to be not true, uh, and they make that, that uh, uh, statement with the intent to induce reliance, in other words, to get somebody to do something, uh, and then uh, the, the uh, reliance results in, in damage to that person. So that type of finding, that's intentional fraud, and that that would not be covered uh, because it, under any policy because it, it wouldn't uh, it's not allowable under the insurance code. <clears throat> but then there are other uh, types of representations that uh, are um, more difficult sort of to define. So first would be a uh, um, a negligent misrepresentation, and a negligent misrepresentation is sort of the same elements except for. Uh, that the person, uh, the second element about that I that I know it's not true, uh, it's that that element is just changed to that I go I don't have a reasonable basis for uh, believing it to be true, and the way that this comes up uh, is a I've got a, a example I use over and over again. If I'm an agent and I'm in the uh, kitchen uh, on a showing, uh, and the buyer says, "Hey, is the fence on the uh, on the property line?" And I look outside the window and it looks like it is. And I say, yes, well, now I've just made a positive assertion of fact. And if that turns out not to be true, then I'm left with the jury just uh, trying to determine, okay, did, uh, did I know that it wasn't true? In other words, did I see a prelim and did I, did I realize before I said that, that the, the, the fence line was actually much closer to the house so that the house really didn't have the big side yard that it appeared to have, uh, in which case that's fraud and I don't have coverage or, Am I just lazy and I didn't look at the prelim and I just assumed it was with no basis for assuming? And of course, the, the plaintiff is going to try to, to prove uh, that it was made intentionally, and and then the the agent is going to try to hope that the uh, that the jury believes that they just made a, a, a an innocent mistake by saying something that they shouldn't have. 
Well, I appreciate that. Well, we all know that real estate DO claims can be very time consuming and frustrating for all parties involved, especially when you are dealing with a really uh, a busy broker or agent because uh, it puts a stop to a lot of their work. How does a, you know, with all the different means of, uh, of communication now, text and email and, and, and so much other stuff, how, how does a broker or an agent really know if they have a claim? Well, most. Most, uh, you know, policies uh, define a claim as, you know, a demand for money that arose out of, a, you know, the, the um, provision or providing of real estate services. Uh, and so that's where uh, it's also important for agents to uh, communicate directly with managers uh, or their broker uh, when they have a complaint uh, from a, uh, uh, from a, um, uh, a, a client, you know, it could like we've had circumstance where uh, there's a, there's a demand for money, but it's really just made to this to the seller, or that the letter appears to be you know made out to the seller, uh, but the agent is copied on the letter, or maybe the letter is addressed to both the seller and the agent, and the and the buyer is only including the agent because they don't know how to get a hold of the uh, the seller directly. Well, if that's um, if that's a demand is reasonably likely to uh, result in a claim against the broker. Uh, then that letter, although not directly demanding money from the agent, might be determined uh, by the, the carrier to, to be a demand for money and constitute a claim. Uh, and so if there's any uh, anything that uh, complaints uh, of any sort really needs to be communicated to a manager uh, and or the broker for uh, another reason, which is, you know, when an agent is doing their level best on trying to handle a transaction and somebody calls them a dirty rat that they didn't do what they should have done, there's an emotional component to that, right? You tried to be as helpful as you could in the transaction and now somebody is criticizing you. And so sometimes that, that uh, emotional element uh, clouds uh, an agent's judgment. So when an agent gets a broker or manager involved, uh, it eliminates uh, that uh, the, the manager or, or, and broker uh, presumably won't have the same uh, emotional investment. Ah. So the and another reason too, going back to to my uh, comment about you know the insurance is purchased by the manager uh, or the um, or the uh, 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 an administrative person. Um, the if an agent gets a gets a a you know a letter, a threatening letter, or even a demand letter. Uh, and then just doesn't do anything with it. Uh, and then the, and this happens quite frequently, the buyer says, well, maybe I just, uh, you know, I'm not going to do anything about it. And then the next rain comes or the problem manifests itself again, or they realize that the problem is bigger than they expected. And, and now they make, they file a lawsuit. Well, if the policy was rewritten uh, between, you know, in other words, if, if there was a renewal that occurred between the time of the demand letter uh, and the complaint, uh, the insurance company could deny coverage by base having prior knowledge uh, of a uh, of a uh, um, claim, <clears throat> and so because when an insurance company underwrites, they're underwriting based on what they think the current risk is, and if there's a if there's a pending or a brewing problem, uh, they the they may underwrite and, and charge premiums uh, different premiums if they knew about it versus if they didn't know about it, and so. The agents uh, need to really be communicative and, and give those threatening letters to the brokers so that they can hopefully uh, everybody has every broker that's watching this has a file in their office uh, next to their insurance uh, renewals uh, that they put all, every threatening letter that they get throughout the year. 
So then that way, you know, okay, this went away, or this is still potentially active, or even just disclosing it saying, hey, I, here's the five lead, you know, or however many, uh, hopefully it's none, you know, uh, threatening letters throughout the year, and then you know, you're not going to have a coverage problem uh, uh, based on a, a prior notice issue. Okay, so now we have a claim, it's pretty clear. What does a broker do next? How does he hand it to the, the, the carrier? And what are some steps that they should take to, uh, to support their documentation? Yeah, so the, the whole file then needs to obviously be preserved. So they need to, the agent needs to print out whatever text messages that they had and they need to uh, get their emails printed out. So everything that, uh, that the, all the, the proof of communications during the course of the transaction, then of course, all the transaction documents, which should be already be in the file, but everything needs to get uh, bundled up together uh, and so that way, because uh, at some point the insurance company is going, the adjuster is, uh, who is assigned to the claim is going to ask for that file. And then when it gets to an attorney like me, of course, we're going to need that file. So it's very important to sort of, I call it circling the wagons. You know, let's, let's look at everywhere and make sure we got everything. And uh, the, the, uh, if there are phone calls that were made that are potentially are important, you know, grab that telephone bill now, you know, when it's still relatively fresh before it gets destroyed. Uh, so that every every bit of information that might be needed uh, is is uh, in one in one place. Perfect. So how about the E and O premiums? Of course, now we we know we have a claim, and and they've probably settled on a claim for our office. How do claims really affect uh, the cost of E and O insurance for a broker uh, for years to come? So the uh, insurance premiums uh, are based um, on what that particular insured cost the insurance company uh, the year prior. Same way with your homeowners. If I've got no claims, I'm going to get one pricing. If I've got you know a bunch of uh, uh, break-ins, uh, my my and the insurance company has had to pay for things, uh, I'm going to get a different price. Or or car insurance. If I have a bunch of car accidents. Uh, that my insurance rates are going to go up. So <clears throat> the focus really is to keep uh, the total cost of the of a claim down uh, because th that uh, will be more friendly for your for your premium. So whether whether it gets paid uh, to defense costs, uh, paying me to defend the case, uh, or whether it gets paid in settlement, what so they call it indemnity. The insurance company doesn't care. They're looking at, at, at both, what the total is of both buckets. And so uh, I've got two examples of this. <clears throat> um, you've got two brokers that are on opposite sides of the street from one another. Uh, one uh, has five lawsuits uh, in a year. Uh, and and uh, the each of those lawsuits, uh, the broker just, uh, or the, the insurance company and the broker agree, let's just pay 5,000 and, and get out of each of these. Uh, and so there are, you know, there's a frequency of, of, you know, they did, there were five things that they did wrong uh, or arguably did wrong. Uh, and uh, during the course of that year versus the other guy on the, or, or gal on the other side of the street, um, they've got one claim uh, and that broker dug uh, his or her, her heels in and said, I'm not, we didn't do anything wrong. I'm not paying any money whatsoever. Uh, and they take that case all the way to trial and they get a defense verdict at trial and it cost them a hundred thousand dollars. Well, the broker with five claims, uh, interestingly enough, is likely going to get a lower premium quote the next year than will the broker that had one claim that they defend. And so uh, it really becomes a, an issue of, and, and it's, we're, we as, a, as Carlson Law Group, you, you know, are, are focused on trying to 
get the best result from the client. And sometimes the best result is the one that doesn't taste very good. And so I, I've got this, uh, what I call the continuum of pain. So <clears throat> sort of similar to my to my uh, two brokers across the street from one another. Another way to look at it is if, if a lawsuit came in and you were able to, to uh, predict the future and knew that it was going to cost you $50,000 to get rid of the case, uh, I'm sorry, to, to defend a case all the way through trial. Uh, if, an eight, if the plaintiff says, you know what, I'll go away for five. Well, you know, even though you didn't do anything wrong, you know that that $5,000 is a better business decision than, than fighting all the way and spending $50,000. It feels horrible, uh, but that but that's an easy business decision, right? So where it gets where it gets tricky is, okay, now it's not, it's not five, it's 25, or it's not 25, it's 35. Uh, and where along that, you know, continuum is it that you that you just get too close to where it's just going to be a problem for you in any event, and you have to you have to go all the way through the trial, uh, or you know where is it that you say okay, enough's enough, let's just get rid of this claim and try to you know make a a good business decision. So do brokers have a say in no, we're going to fight this, or does a carrier kind of override that based on the information from the claims adjuster and the attorney? It depends on the policy. So okay. there's what they call a consent clause. So some uh, policies are written to where the broker uh, has the ability to um, the last say, the veto power, so to speak, uh, over a settlement. And then there are other um, policies where where the the broker doesn't have uh, the um, uh, doesn't have the ability to consent. Perfect. But so I, I just have to say on that regard, just in, in, again yeah. my experience for doing this for a really long time, you know I I can count maybe on two hands where. Uh, over all that time where the, the um, insurance company wanted one thing and the broker wanted another thing. Um, yeah, you know, I think when you get right down into it, everybody wants the same result, which is to have the claim to be as cheap as possible. And so um, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, it's like, well, I really don't like this. Let's, let's, there's, a dis, there's a dispute over what the best road is to the lowest cost. Uh, but I don't know uh, that, uh, uh, that I've ever actually seen a case that I've handled, well, I shouldn't say I don't know. I have not had a case that I've handled where at the end of the day, the, there was a, uh, the, bro the broker and the insurance company were on polar opposite sides of, of the decision to settle. And uh, the broker, you know, nixed the settlement deal uh, and then had to, you know, go forward and, and uh, deal with the consequences with that. So it, it just, I think most people realize it's, it's a business decision that they have to make together. Sure. And we know that E&O rates have been a little bit higher in, in the past few years. And a lot of the real estate brokers have uh, increased their deductibles so that their costs are a little bit more um, uh, cost worthy for the, the agents in the office. Um, can you explain real quick why we're here? If an office does have, let's say, a $25,000 or $2,500 deductible or $5,000 deductible, and they are getting rid of these issues before they even turn them into the carrier, what are some of the things and, and measures that a broker should do so that it doesn't blow up down the road if they go ahead and make it go away under the deductible and not turn it in? Well, so if you don't turn it in and you renew, then we come with the prior with the prior uh, notice uh, issue. Um, if you don't turn it in, you defend it, and then something happens. Uh, there is a notice and cooperation clause, and and it's it's so fact specific that it really would be hard for me to give any usable, uh, you know, information on that. But the, the, the concept is that if, if a, an insured does something that jeopardizes the insurance company's ability to defend the case, then there can be, there can be a problem uh, with coverage. 
And so, you know, it's it, um, if a broker is going to not tender something, uh, they probably and they just handle it on their own. They probably need to have a you know heart to heart conversation with with the attorney that they're uh, having help them or, or get an attorney involved uh, to to evaluate that particular issue based on the facts given in that in that particular case. So the forms where it's a, uh, you know, I paid you the $300 for this issue. Is there any kind of form that they could have the other party sign that they're not bringing this up again, like a release? Yeah. So if you're, if a, a company wants to resolve a claim, you know, within the deductible, uh, they for sure want to um, want to get a release uh, for that so that they don't, you know, they don't pay money. And then, and then they come back, you know, once they realize, Hey, that was an easy target. Let me, let me make up something else. And then now all of a sudden, you know, they're, you're uh, having multiple claims from the same buyer. And I would say the same thing that holds true if there's a dispute during escrow and then the, uh, the agents say, okay, well, I'll contribute a portion of my commission to fix that particular issue. You want to get a release in exchange for that, for that uh, concession on your commission also. Perfect. Is that a CAR form or is that something that somebody puts on their letterhead and has both parties sign? Well, the, the CAR doesn't have a release form, um, so you would want to have, you know, your attorney carry uh, uh, or prepare that for you. You know, that, that would be, that's something that we do under the, under the Crest Risk Management um, Program. When we get those calls, we do that uh, frequently um, for, uh, for a caller. So anybody who's watching this must be a Crest member, so I would, uh, they have that, that uh, benefit also. So if you're in a, in a deal, that would be a good and they are going to give a commission uh, concession uh, or if you resolve something outside of your uh, um, without making tendering a claim i for sure would make a call to the to the risk management line and, and you can have one of our attorneys or the other couple of firms that do it to help them out oh fantastic great information today mark on just not only brokers and how they can manage their agents better but even for the agents that are watching this what are some questions that the agents can ask their brokers and i think you addressed a lot of those uh, in particular about the E&O coverage and what their activity is covered and what isn't. And then, of course, with E&O, there's always a lot of misconceptions. So you cleared a lot of those up for us today. We appreciate that. Uh, for everybody, we look forward to the next webinar. And uh, thanks so much for watching this one. Laura, back to you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dave. Always very, very informative. And for all of you, thank you for watching. A copy of this webinar is available on the Crest Insurance homepage if you look under the Claim Prevent blog. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.